Amen. Amen. Um, we've been going um, through Galatians line by line, verse by verse, um, kind of talking about life in light of the gospel, talking about Paul's um, anger and frustration with people who have abandoned the gospel as a lifestyle. Um, it's, it's such a subtlety. Um, it's such an easy subtlety um, to, to, to walk away from the gospel as the means by which the entire Christian life hinges. Um, <clears throat> we're going to talk about that reality today as we talk about sanctified by the gospel. Sanctified by the gospel. Kind of talks to me, that it kind of, you know, reminds me today of these infomercials. Um, the infomercials that have come on, you know, older men got a second leaf on life when they were able to get pleasure nowadays because of a certain drug. You know what I'm saying? And because of that reality, you know what I'm saying? They say, you can take this, but um, your ear's going to fall off. Your tongue's going to get numb. You're going to feel like pins are sticking you in the eyes. Um, earwax buildup. Um, spontaneous hair will grow between your toes. Um, but this is a good product. <laughs> I mean, you, you got all of these joints, and then they got some fine print. Then look at the, and then you just look at the bottom, and you're just trying to look at all of this stuff that'll happen to you possibly from taking this product. And what's so funny is, is, is many people um, don't realize that our lives are like that. Many times when we try to live life without the gospel and you try to do things in, in your own power and in your own reckoning, in trying to benefit yourself, you make more problems than solutions. And Paul talks about the fact to the, to the, to the Corinthian church. He said, yo, man, you know what I'm saying? He said, you're making more problems with the way you're trying to live without Jesus. Um, it's, this, is, this is even deeper than just losing your first love. Um, this, this is more than that. This is, this is the abandonment of a life. And we got so many preachers that teach three ways to get a good, uh, get a good family, uh, five ways to do this, nine ways to do this, eight ways to do this, and you got this list. And we feel like when we've exhausted the options by trying to apply the list that we've actually met a requirement. Now, I'm not saying that we don't need practical application. That's not what I'm saying. Because, see, I want today, I'm going to give you some applications, some stuff for your life, but, but I believe Paul wants there to be a paradigm shift in our minds in the way we relate to the gospel. Um, because, because the gospel many times is thought of something that is proclaimed rather than something that's proclaimed and practiced. And so what we're going to talk about today is we're going to zoom in on the reality of the fact that the gospel sanctifies. And what, and what does that look like in our lives? But how do we need to reapproach life? That's why all of our songs here, a lot of the songs that we do, or at least one or two of them every Sunday, points you to the cross, points you to Jesus. Because and that's why a lot of our messages, most of our messages, we preach on a two-sided coin. We preach, we preach every text based on what's being said expositionally in that particular text. But we do two things with it, um, which, which is called a homiletical hermeneutic. And what we do is this. We do, we do this. We preach the gospel. We preach that text, and we say, this is what it means for Christians. However, if you're not a Christian, you need Jesus to apply it. If you are a Christian, you need Jesus to apply it. And so, and so because of that reality, we don't want to talk about everybody pulling themselves up by their own bootstraps, everybody on their own. Like, we believe that you're supposed to work. We believe that you're supposed to be, be diligent. However, the diligence Paul in this passage talks about has a point of empowerment that we have to make sure we never ignore. And that's the gospel. And so here in this text, I think I'm going to just, I may, I may stop at verse 5, I may stop at verse 9. Um, it's according to how time goes. I don't know which one I'll stop at. Let's just read. I'll read the verse 9, and then we'll kind of just line by line it, all right? Verse 1, it says, O foolish Galatians, O foolish, o foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you 
and works miracles among you, do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the, the, the man of faith. <coughs> In this section, <coughs> Paul is beginning a section from, from chapter, chapter 3, verse 1, to, I, I think about, about verse four, chapter 4, verse 23, where he's beginning a, 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 a new section within the larger section of helping the Galatians to return to the gospel as a way of life. And, and, and in him doing that, he does a defense of sola fide. Say sola fide. That means faith alone. That's one of the tenets of the Reformation that was called, that called the church back to the fundamental reality of the fact that salvation and the whole of the Christian life is by faith alone. And because of that reality, Paul says, okay, let me let you know, like, like this is nothing new. And, I'm, and Paul begins in, a, in, 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 in an eloquent and, and, I mean, artistic and beefy way, walking them through the theological paradigm of pistis, talking to them about being saved and sanctified alone by faith and helping them to see the wideness and the span of it. And he gets so mad, it brings me, it brings me to my per- first point. It, it, it gets him so mad in verse 1. My first point is the gospel is vivid. The gospel is vivid. He says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Oh, foolish Galatians, who's bewitched you? <clears throat> What's interesting is he, he basically calls them foolish, saying that they have gone back out of the sphere. Remember we were in Proverbs. You have removed yourself from this, the sphere of uh, the, the, the community of the wise and have gone into the community of fools. Remember, in Proverbs, there were two groups of people. There was the community of the wise and then the community of the fools. The, the fool has core values and the wise has core values. Now, Paul, talking here, talks about the Galatians being foolish, not positionally, but practically, because he still announces that they are Christians, but he says you're being foolish in relation to how you're relating to the gospel. Whenever you begin to not live in light of the gospel and begin to back up from the gospel as the means in which your entire Christian life hinges, you become foolish. And so Paul says, Paul says, oh, foolish Galatians. I I mean, I I would love to be in the room that he's writing in with that candle and that papyrus and and, and seeing him. I don't know if he had an eagle's feather or what, but I mean, he's sitting in there and I can just see him. He's he's, he's just losing his mind over this reality. And he says, man, I got to call them a name. You know what I'm saying? This ain't cause gesture like your mama type stuff. You know what I'm saying? But, I mean, he was like, y'all, y'all are acting foolish. But then he says, who has bewitched you? Interesting word. That word means to, who's cast a spell on you? Who's practiced witchcraft on you? He's using it metaphorically to say, who has put a hex on you? You know, you know I, just, I don't know if y'all got any family from Louisiana, but you see a chicken bone out on your porch or something. You know what I'm saying? A little, a little bloody chicken neck, you know, chicken like this. Broke chicken neck out on the joint, you know what I'm saying? Like, like he basically saying, yo, who's been doing voodoo on you? Like, like somebody dancing in front of your house, doing a dance and carrying on, shaking something, you know, powder and backing up and all that kind of care. He said, he said, he like, he like somebody, he said some, he said somebody's bewitched you. Somebody has, has fooled you into believing that there's something else besides the gospel. See, whenever you stop living in light of the gospel, you're under a demonic spell. See, when, when, when people got, I, I get scared when people have too many you must statements in their message. You must this. You just got to. All you got to do, plus. All you got to add, add all of these things to Jesus. That's demonic. That's called another gospel. It's called a doctrine of devils. 
Anything that adds anything to the gospel stops being the gospel. And so Paul emphasizes to them the fact that they had been bewitched. But, but, but look how he lays this thing out. He says right here, he says, he says, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Check this out. It wasn't that they were there at the crucifixion. This word publicly portrayed is an interesting phraseology. It's really one word, but in the English language, we kind of say publicly portrayed. Yours might say, uh, uh, kind of translate differently if you have New American Standard or New King James. But, 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 but this, this, what is what he's saying? The, the word is, and this is a good picture for, for all the artists. Basically, Paul says that his gospel presentation was vivid. In other words, he says, the way I presented the gospel to you was an artistic masterpiece. He's not, now, he's not bragging on his skill of preaching the gospel. He says, you got the gospel in its purest form expressed to you in your context, in your culture, in your language, without anything inhibiting you getting it the same way God gave it to me, although he gave it to me in a different context. However, there was nothing in the way of it. It, it, it has the issue. It can be translated, he painted a picture of the crucified Christ. And there are three things that, that Paul emphasized when he preached the gospel. He, he emphasized clarity. He emphasized contextualization, and he emphasized the gospel being in crimson. I'm going to explain those two. Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 through 6, in verse 3, he asked the Colossians, he says, pray for me that I may make the gospel as clear as it ought to be. You know what I'm saying? He says in um, 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 uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, um, he says, he says, pray for me that I may have boldness to proclaim the gospel. In other words, you got a clear presentation of the gospel. There was, you, you got the fact that you're jacked up. You got the fact that God isn't. And I express that vividly to you. That you're falling and he's not. That there's a gap and there's only one person that can bridge that gap. You got who Jesus is. You got who you're not. You got where you're going to go if you don't get it in with Jesus by faith alone um, to have access. All of that was explained to you in vivid fashion, clearly. But then he says it was contextualized. It was contextualized. In other words, Paul didn't go to the Galatians speaking Hebrew and Aramaic. He went to them probably preaching in Koine Greek, which was the common language of the people groups of the Roman, the Greco-Roman Empire at that time. And so not only did he express it clearly, but he contextualized it. In other words, he expressed it to them based on their context and their culture without changing the original culture of the gospel and transporting it into the culture. See, that's very important. When Paul says, I have a vivid portrayal, I made sure you understood it. I always tell a story about the cats in Papua New Guinea who didn't have a word for faith. And they had to find a word for faith to help them to be able to understand the idea of faith. The principle is faith, not the word that you use, just as long as they express the fact that salvation is by it alone. Okay? And so, but then not only did he do it with clarity, not only did he contextualize it, but he did it in crimson. He said that he was publicly portrayed as crucified. We're not talking about, like, like everybody has these, this guy on the cross look like he's voguing or something. You know what I'm saying? I, I, don't, I don't know what that is. What's, what's that? Like, like I, I mean, that's, that's not the Savior crucified. That's, Paul said, I portrayed him brutally beaten. I, I portrayed him as bloody. I consider myself to know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified, 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 3. He said, I brought to you of, of first and foremost importance, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5, the gospel. In other words, he, he, portray, he said, I made sure that you knew how offensive your sin was to God by how I portrayed Jesus beaten and battered on the cross. He said, he said, a lot of times in our gospel presentations, they're not bloody enough. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus isn't torn up enough. We're not talking about overdoing it. 
Like all this skin was laying on the ground. We ain't talking about that. Like, and all you saw was his muscle. And I ain't saying that. But there's an importance of letting people know what sin costs. And because of that, Paul says, he says, I portrayed him publicly as brutally murdered for, 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 for our sin. In other words, he was brutally murdered for crimes he didn't commit. God took all of the charges against you, Galatians, past, present, and future, put it on Jesus, and had him ripped apart. So, so in other words, the gospel is vivid. Because when you get the gospel in vivid fashion of a public portrayal of the God-man brutally beaten, you'll never forget it. And Paul is like, how, after all of that sorrow, after all of what we went through in proclaiming the gospel to y'all, how y'all going to front now? And so he's telling them, yo, don't forget about what it was like when I was pouring out the nutrients of what it looks like uh, uh, um, to people, which is it's just like um, the writer of Hebrews said to the Hebrew people. He said in, he said in verse, chapter 2, verse 1, he said something interesting. He says, 2-1, he says, therefore... We must pay close attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The gospel. That word drift there means to, uh, for a, is used of a ship sitting out in the water and just being aimlessly, just aimlessly wandering about the water without any direction. The writer of Hebrews says, without the gospel, as the wind and the sail and the controller of the temperature for your ship, you will drift away. See, whenever the pastor's anniversary, when, whenever, when, whenever his leadership and whenever building funds, and when all of these things begin to eclipse, your change coming and all of that kind of, kind of whenever that is all you hear, Whenever that's always the, always the, you're the center, what God's going to do in your life is the, is the apex of your life. Your, your personal vision and your personal goal is the only vision for your life. You've departed from the gospel. Because when it's properly portrayed, you'll never forget it. And any believer says, oh, that's, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. That's just, I mean, that's, that's milk stuff. I'll, we'll talk about biblically what milk is and biblically what steaks are. Whether you have milk or steaks, it doesn't matter. All have to be influenced and cooked in the, in the temperature of the oven of the gospel. So, 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 so we got to be careful of abandoning the reality of the gospel. We must remember it. That's why we remind each other of it so much. Remember, remember, remember that he died. Not just something tagged on to the end of a message with somebody shaking a handkerchief and saying, didn't he, didn't he die? That's not it. He's the whole, not a piece. So we got to remember the reality of the gospel. Don't you ever forget that he died. Don't you ever forget that he was ripped, brutally beaten, beyond the 40 lashes that the Jews were supposed to give. That's why he gave them to Rome. Don't you ever forget it. It is not just your beginning point, which brings me to my next point. The gospel brings God's people, God's people's faith to completion. The gospel, I'm going to say it again, (coughs) brings God's people's faith to completion. This, is, this, will, this principle will be the, the most important principle you learn. I don't care if you get a PhD. This is the most important principle of the Christian life. The most, I'm, I'm just trying to tell you, there is no principle in the Bible that exceeds this principle. Because the gospel Brings your faith to completion. Look at verse 2. Check it out. He says, let me ask you only this. Since y'all so, you know, y'all getting, y'all smelling your own armpits. He said, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? <coughs> Paul, Paul, Paul's asking a rhetorical question. 
And he's going to deal with this issue of faith. <clears throat> of course, the answer is by faith. We're going to talk what he means about the meaning, meaning of receiving of the Spirit. And we're going to talk because you've got to work through that to kind of work through theologically what he's talking about here. We're going to talk about the, 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 the relationship with works to faith. Now, Paul here in this passage is talking about, he's not talking about works-based faith, but faith-based works. Let me say that again. Paul is talking about faith-based, not a faith-based initiative, faith-based works, not works-based faith. Listen, faith-based works are works that flow out of faith in Jesus. Works-based faith say in order to get Jesus, I may work in order to get faith. There's a difference. So Paul says, how, like, like, did you, like, when I came to you, was it, like, was it you amping up your game that, that you got the Spirit? Like, like, the people that talk about you got to work to get the Spirit, this text is against that. Like, I got to work to get the Spirit. I got to run around, run around the church three times. Run around the church three times and the Spirit going to fall on you. Go run. One, two, three, go. And just take off running. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean. Stand out there. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Thank you. No. He said, you didn't receive the Spirit by works. He said, you receive the Spirit by faith. See what I'm saying? So, so he's, he's totally eradicating the reality of the fact that man's effort brings the Spirit. But it's an initiation of the work of the sovereign Jesus who sends the Spirit. Now, we're going to talk about the Spirit and his works in relation to this passage because it's in the text. But check out what he says. He says, he says, he says, are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are now perfected by the flesh? When he says, having begun by the Spirit, check this out, the Spirit, we got to do a, a little sub-biblical theology on the work of the Spirit to understand what he's talking about. The Spirit is the one who, who applies the work of the cross to the Christian's life. Let me explain that. We're going to go to some verses on that. Jesus, the Father, Ephesians chapter 1, initiates through divine decree and edict. The Son acts out or brings to fruition the ability for the edict to touch human beings through the cross and the resurrection. The Spirit is the one who's the application. His role in the Trinity is application. In other words, his role is to make sure that we become Christians, that we remain Christians, and that we spend eternity with the Father. Now, let me explain this now. Now, hold your finger up in Galatians. And go over to John, um, John, I, 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 let's go over to John 14. Matter of fact, John 16. John 16. All right. Go over to verse 8. It says, it says, and when he comes... Notice it didn't say when it comes. He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the role of the Spirit is to show you that there's a gap between you and God. Number one. Now, concerning sin because they do not believe. that they, Of course, so they're sinners, okay? <laughs> concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will um, see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged, right? Now, he says, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus had to limit how much he taught the disciples because they didn't have the spirit to help them fully come to the realization of all that God had for them based on the word of God, right? Then it says, and when the spirit of truth comes, all it's got to do with the gospel. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. So he will help you to recognize what God says and what God doesn't say. Okay? Okay? And so, and so then after that, he says, 
He will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you all things that are to come. Okay, some of this is partial, the work of the apostles and their work of, 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 of writing scripture and their prophetic ministry prior to the completion of the scriptures. First uh, Corinthians 13, verses 8, 9, and 10. Check them out later. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. Stop there. The Spirit, when Jesus is not turned on among his people, the Spirit turns off. Jesus ain't concerned about, I mean, the Holy Spirit ain't all that concerned about us. He said, Jesus, oh, oh, okay, I, I'm ready now. Jesus came up. Now, if Jesus don't come up and it's just about a manifestation, that's just men. That's just people getting the music right and working everybody up. Come on, come on, drum that thing up. And drumming that thing up. No, that's human works. But see, when Jesus is central, you ain't got to beg the Spirit to come in. See, because the Jesus already said, the Spirit comes to prop me up. So if I'm being propped up, the Spirit will make sure that it gets done properly. <laughs> so he said, did you get the Spirit by works or by faith? Jesus is showing you <clears throat> that, you know, he said, having begun by the Spirit. So the Spirit is the initiator of the Christian life. First Corinthians 12, 3 says, No one can confess Jesus as Lord except by the Spirit. It wasn't just you. It was the Spirit causing you to confess Jesus as Lord. Oh, you thought you were that cool and you understood the gospel like that? There was a veil over your face, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, that you were blinded. You and I were blinded. I, I, we had the inability to see and recognize the fact that the gospel was the gospel. But the Spirit, the Holy Ghost, I like that, had to come in, into you, and, and start rectifying and showing you how jacked up you and I are. The fact that there's a judgment coming, and we're going to join the heaven, the, uh, the, the devil a, a, in the lake of fire, join them, and that God is righteous and that we're not. He was showing us that. See, that's how you begin by the Spirit. He initiates it. You ain't that cool and cute and smoking and, and all that in your own life that, that God saved you. It was not based on works, but it was based on Him. See, see Titus chapter 3 verse 5 says, we've been regeneration, re regenerated and renewed by the washing of the Spirit. So what happens is, is the Spirit comes in, He dips a, 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 a napkin or something in the blood of Jesus and scrubs your soul till you're born again. So it is, you, you begin by the Spirit through faith alone, through Christ alone, by grace alone. So, so it's the work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> and the Spirit is only interested in Jesus. Oh, I can't say that enough. Like, that's why we don't try to make things happen. Come on, come on, come on. Say something to Come on, come on, come on. Everybody, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. We won't do all that. Because if you came in, you know, Jesus, you got the spirit. Ain't nobody got to come on, come on, come on. Just remember the portrayal of him on the cross. And ain't nobody got to say, come on, come on. You remember that? Oh, Jesus, I'm just going in myself. I'm like, ah, I got to... More than a chill. Oh, my God. I remember what I was like now. I remember how God has taken me. And so ain't nobody got to drum me up to praise the Lord Christ. Because, because I remember what he did. I remember what he did. I remember what it looked like. It was portrayed to me clearly. And because of that, I got to give it up for him. So you ain't beginning by, by your works, by your grind, by your entrepreneurial savvy. Yeah, that, that, ain't, that ain't what got you saved, fam. But it was his work. But then, then he goes and says, <clears throat> he said, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. So the Spirit, the whole work of the Spirit in the life of the believer from beginning to end is to make sure that the Christian 
interacts with everything that God has made available for us to interact with. The Holy Spirit does that. So basically, he says, having begun by the Spirit, he says, you can't stop walking by the Spirit. We're going to get to that in a few weeks. But what Paul is saying is, is because of that reality, the Spirit is the one through the gospel, through Jesus being glorified, through Jesus' name being brought up, continues continues to work all of those spiritual blessings in the high places that we that's talked about in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3 all of those things that are talked about are applied and brought to brought to brought to clarity by the holy spirit so he says having begun by the spirit are you now perfected by the flesh <laughs> perfected here is just a word that that just means to complete to bring the completion. Now, the word is used several ways. The word here, perfected, is used um, in relation to dead works of the law, like in, I believe, Hebrews, um, Hebrews 8, 5. It'll talk about dead works of the law. But it's also used as a word to talk about maturing a Christian. So he says, having begun the Christian life by faith. In other words, we were justified by faith in Christ. He says, are you now being sanctified by your flesh? So he's asking a rhetorical question. That's not true, of course. So what he's saying, the same thing that's the same thing that saves you, the gospel, is the same thing that keeps you. Let me say that again. The same thing that saved you is the same thing that keeps you. See, when people read Romans 1.16... They read it for justification, but if you understand the book of Romans, it's, it's broader than that. It's broader than that. Thank you. It's, it's broader than that. Because, when he, because my, I remember my Greek professor, before we had to, we had to translate the book of Romans twice, and, um, and, uh, from Greek to English. And I remember him telling us, he said, he said, he says, gentlemen, ladies, he said, listen, he says, Romans, because Paul had, hadn't been to Romans at this point in the way that he would have liked to have gone into Rome, <coughs> he said, the book of Romans is a, is a total gospel theology. It's his, basically his gospel thesis. You will see Paul through the book of Romans teach justification, sanctification, and glorification. And it's even broken up into those parts. Okay? Chapter 1 through, of course, um, chapter 1 through uh, 5. Uh, go, goes on justification. Chapter, chapter 6 on is sanctification and justification. All right? So now, what Paul wants to do is give you the total. When he says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, he's not just talking about just being saved by justification. In other words, like Shah was talking about last week, uh, 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 being declared righteous or acquitting of the charges. This goes beyond, stay with me, y'all, the acquitting of the charges. This goes to you walking out the Christian life. Sanctified. In other words, and there are two types of sanctification. There's positional sanctification and there's practical sanctification. There's positional sanctification and there is practical sanctification. Of course, positional sanctification is, this is my definition, is the act by which the Spirit sets the believer aside to God and for God through Jesus Christ for God's specific purposes. Let me say that again. The sanctif- positional sanctification is the act by which the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, sets the believer aside to God, for God, through Jesus Christ. When you look at Hebrews 10.10, Hebrews 10.10, it points to the reality of the positional work of sanctification by the Spirit who sets us aside. Hebrews 10.10. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. Verse 10 of chapter 10. It says, and by that will, we, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. That have been sanctified is a, is, is a, is a, is a perfect passive. What does that mean? That means a definitive work that happened in the past that has continuous effects. So that means there was a definitive time when Christ did that, and it happened to us in our lives, 
But it didn't stop there. It continues to work. That's why the Bible says in Philippians 1.6 1, that he who began a good work will complete it. But no matter whether you believe that's giving or the whole of the Christian life, the issue is, is that we're sanctified by the Spirit. So the Spirit positionally sets us aside and drafts us on the eternal team. That's positional sanctification. Sanctification is different than justification. Justification announces... But sanctification is the actualization of our righteousness in Jesus. <clears throat> Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.11, he says, you were sanctified. He didn't just say you are at that point because he's emphasizing in 1 Corinthians 6.11 the fact that it happened. So, in other words, positionally, we have all of the Christian life completed in Jesus. However, when we look at our nasty, filthy, everyday life, our soul hasn't been sanctified in relation to the reality of the fact that we've been positionally set aside to God. Therefore, there's a need for the process called sanctification. Sanctification, post-positional sanctification, progressive sanctification is the process by which we become actually holy. Let me say that again. Sanctification is the process by which we become actually holy. See, when you look, in, when you look up in that um, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, Paul tells the Thessalonians, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, 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 he wouldn't tell them that this was only positional if he's telling them to stop having sex with each other outside of marriage. He's telling them, listen, the reason why you don't have sex is because God wants you to grow up. He um, not, not have sex, let me fix that now. You, 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 it's good to have sex, amen, but it's supposed to be in the context of marriage. So the reason why he doesn't want sexual immorality applied is because that's a sanctification issue. So in other words, positional sanctification. Uh, James says in James 1.21, he says, Receive the engrafted word of God which is able to save your souls. A lot of people read that and say, if you're not getting the word, you're not going to be saved. No, that's not what it's saying. Saved or salvation or saving in the New Testament has several ways that it's used. Are y'all still with me? It, it, it means to be, it, it could be to justify, to sanctify, and th sanctification has three positions that counts for justification and glorification. I'm explaining that in a minute. But salvation, you got to understand whether it's you're being, you're being declared righteous or you're being continuously shown as righteous or you're consummated in eternity in righteousness. That's glorification. Now, sanctification is we're sanctified positionally, we sanctified practically, and we will be sanctified ultimately. See, a lot of times people read, hear, that, hear, that, hear the doxology at the end of the, the church gathering and Jude, the last verse. And it says, now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present your, you faultless before his throne with exceeding gladness and joy. To him, my God and Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forever. What is that? He's really an exegesis of glorification. See, because, well, listen, listen to this. See, practical sanctification is the process by which we come actually holy. Glorification is the, is the fullness of the application of all of the righteousness of Christ realized in the believer's, the believer's life to live eternally in the presence of God. 1 Corinthians 15 says we'll have new bodies. 2 Corinthians 5 says we'll have new bodies and we'll be fully grown up in the faith. That, that, so that's ultimate sanctification. But then he talks about, he's emphasized, he says being perfected by the gospel. <clears throat> that's very important. Faith in the gospel grows you up. <clears throat> but you got to learn the trick. It's a nice little trick. Everything you want to apply, you got to look at in light of Jesus. See, see, somebody said, I'm, I'm dealing with a pride issue. I got to stop being prideful. I'm going to try to be more humble. No. Wrong answer. If I were you, I would go over to Philippians chapter 2. 
And I would look at Paul's commands and then go to the one who went from heaven to earth and who's displayed the ultimate act of humility through coming from heaven to earth, living the life that I can never live, dying the death that I can never die, being raised from the grave that I can never be raised from. And pull off of the nutrients of that. Say, God, Jesus, teach me how to live humbly in light of the fact that you humbled yourself by coming from heaven to earth. The humiliation that you experienced on the cross helped me to internalize that reality so beefily. I made up a word. Um, God even rigged my life where I can, in some minute way, empathize with the infirmities of Christ on the cross so that you can work in me humility. That's cross-centered application of your Christian life. See what I'm saying? See, see if you say, I'm dealing, I, I'm, I'm masturbating, I'm, I'm, okay, go to 1 Corinthians 6. It says, for you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. So now you're saying, based on the death of Christ, I was saved not to relate to my body like this. Therefore, God helped me to, to, to live out the reality of the death of Christ through how I govern my temple. If you're dealing, if your mind is going crazy and you're dealing with depression and you're dealing with frustrations, or you, you have a bad thought life, go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Bring all thoughts captive in obedience to who? Jesus is not the beginning point. Are you getting it? So the whole Christian life is done by Jesus through the gospel and applied by the Spirit. Taking every thought captive. So you're asking yourself, in other words, it's because it says every thought, listen, that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So you take that thought and you write it down. You say, what about this thought is becoming an idol in relation to God's proper position in my life? Then you find a verse put up against it that overrides its position in your life and ask God through the cross to apply it. And you got to apply, and this takes work. It's not you just saying, you know, I mean, you, this, this, this means you got to work. You got to get a concordance. If you don't know what it is, that means you got to look up pride. You got to look, you got to look some stuff up. Some of us just devotionally read and, and, and the waters were dripping off dot, dot, dot. And then you just start reading something that has nothing to do with the verse. That ain't, you ain't going to grow from that. You got to spend some time in the Bible. Now, 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 I know we like, we like all of these books and we like all of these, you know what I'm saying, all this stuff. You got to open up your Bible. I ain't got time. How are you going to live then? Because if you don't have time, you're perfecting yourself by works. You're automatically going to the involuntary action of religiosity and self-moralization. So you, you can't afford to. This is your lifeline. You got to get in your Bible, fam. Because you need to be able to call some stuff up during the day and use it. Now, some of us ain't got nothing we can use. We just on empty. All we got is the mind of Christ with nothing in it. But we got to get, because this is a, and, and, it, and, it's, and it's, a, it's, not just, it's an everyday process, but it's also a moment-by-moment moment process. And that's where the work comes in. The work comes because of faith, not the other way around. So, so again, practical. So, so again, we have to understand that reality. So the gospel grows us up. Now, listen to what Tim Keller says. I wish I had all this stuff on PowerPoint. Sorry, y'all. Tim Keller says, Paul is showing us in, this, in these verses that we never go get beyond the gospel in our Christian life to something more advanced. The gospel is not the first step in a stairway of truths. Rather, it is more like the hub in a wheel of truth. See, it's like the spokes. See, see, see the gospel is like the, the middle of the bike, and the spokes is everything else in the Christian life that orbits it, and without that in the middle, all of the other stuff falls apart. So that's what the, God, the gospel, you got, if you want your marriage to get beefed up, you can't just say, oh, I need to be a better husband. 
I need to, I, that's not it. That's not, that sounds good. That sounds like repentance. It's not. See, in all, repentance is to change your mind. You have to get in the Bible to have your mind changed. You want to be a better husband, you go over to Ephesians chapter 5. And again, guess who else, guess what points to again? I'm sorry, y'all. Jesus. And then he begins going through again Christ as the, as the way in which a husband becomes a good husband. Jesus and the way he loves the church. Stuff like that. I was telling somebody in premarital counseling the other day, I said, I, I'm a little mad at women now. Because y'all got two sanctifiers. Y'all got the Holy Spirit and a husband. Y'all didn't know that, did you? That verse tells you that the husband is supposed to sanctify the wife by the washing of the water of the word. Practically. So she has an internal and external sanctifier. And men are given the grace. That's just something aside by on that. But remember, Jesus is the way for you men to be a beefy, beefy sanctifier. And you pull off of him and the way he relates to the church and apply that to your marriage. I'm telling you, that was one for free. But then he goes further. <laughs> then he goes further. He said, the gospel is not the ABCs, but the A to Z of Christianity. The gospel is not some minimum requirement doctrine necessary to enter the kingdom, but the way we make progress, all progress in the kingdom. He says, we are not justified by the gospel and then sanctified by obedience, but the gospel is the way we grow and are renewed, Colossians 1.6. It is the solution to each problem, the key to each closed door, the power through every barrier. Romans 1, 16 and 17. It is very common in the church to think as follows. The gospel is for non-Christians. One needs it to be saved, but once saved, you grow through hard work and obedience. But Colossians 1, 6 shows that this is a mistake. Turn over to Colossians 1, 6. Colossians 1, 6. Y'all still tracking with me? Colossians 1, 6. It says, let's start at verse 5. It says, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of, of the truth, the gospel. Golly, man. Which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and growing. Process language. As it also does among you since the day you heard it. So he's saying the gospel is still doing work, not just in people coming to Jesus, but in growing the people who came to Jesus up in Jesus. This is important because some of y'all are getting free right now. Some of y'all, for the first time in your life, you're taking a big side because your whole Christian life has been in you trying to make it happen. If I just read this book and if I just memorize this theological principle, then I'll get it. If I, and, 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 and listen, community by itself doesn't help. Community is helpful to reinforce. But community is not a solve-all. The gospel is. So people are going to give you good advice, and your ability to apply it is going to be disappointing until you learn how to apply the gospel. People leave churches because they're disappointed with people, but they don't realize that they're not applying the gospel. This is no nonsense for us, y'all, that we got to begin to learn the beefy secret of beginning and continuing in the gospel. And it takes where it's the applications are infinite for it. <clears throat> I guarantee you, I want you this week, I want you to list your biggest thing you've been dealing with. And I want you to work through biblically how you apply the gospel in that area of your life. But you got to open your Bible now. So, 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 so I want you this week, I want you this week, get that issue, find in the Bible, even if it's in the Old Testament, the gospel applies, and we'll talk about that. We don't have time to talk about the last thing I want to talk about. I'm going to just end it here. Because this is nothing new. This is nothing new. 
This is nothing new. Now, now check this out. Do I want to go there? All right, I'm going to do this last point, all right? All right, y'all always trying to push a brother to teach longer. <laughs> all right, um, let me go to verse 4. He says, okay, this, I got to say this before I Okay. He said, did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Do, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or uh, by hearing with faith? Paul, this is deep. Paul basically says the gospel provides God's people with authentic validation. Let me say that again. The gospel supplies God's people with authentic validation. In other words, Paul shows three areas, three areas of the Christian life where when you're properly applying the gospel, in other words, he's saying, Galatians, you've already been applying the gospel and you've seen progress in three areas of your life. Three areas. The first area was the gospel authenticated you through perseverance. He said, did you suffer so many things in vain? Remember when you were depending on the gospel to help you suffer well? He says the gospel helps you to persevere with purpose. See, before Peter even talks to the people in 1 Peter chapter 2, he first thought, he start with that Jesus guy again. He starts talking about because Jesus Christ suffered, in the light of Jesus Christ's suffering, he left this example for us to follow. Dang. So Jesus leaves us an example of how to not talk smack when we go through trials but to look to God. He says he was entrusting himself to the one who judged right. The, oh, my God. The, I'm the only one. Let's get excited about it. Do you understand the gospel, the gospel, the gospel does everything in our life. Then he tells the wife how to be a good wife based on Jesus. Tells the husband how to be a good husband based on Jesus. Tell you how to work on your job based on Jesus. Tell you how to submit to the government based on Jesus, based on the gospel. Gospel alone. These, like, like, free yourself up from your own works. Free yourself up. So he authenticates it through perseverance. He authenticates it through conversion because he talks about he who supplies the spirit. Did he do so by works or by faith? Supply of the spirit means to furnish. That word supplies means to furnish. In First Peter, Second Peter one four. It says, apply all diligence to your faith. Supply to your faith. Boom, 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 boom. That word supply means to furnish. The Holy Spirit furnishes our Christian life. He's the furniture. He puts things in our souls. So he supplies the Spirit. Of course, the Holy Spirit brings to fruition all of the things. We talked about that reality. But then he authenticated it by works. He's talking about he who works miracles. In other words, make stuff happen that couldn't be done on your own by you doing a magic trick. In other words, Paul will talk a lot about miracles as an authentication of the fact that the gospel is a true message. In Acts chapter 2, verse 47, you see people were added to their number because stuff was happening by the apostles' hands. Acts 5, verses 12 through 16, 942, 1312, 1630, 1 Thessalonians 1, 5, 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and, and 1 Corinthians 14, 22, 25, Luke chapter 7, verse 19 through 22. I sound like Stephen the Levite up here. Um, <laughs> some of y'all just whiz past you. Get the album. Um, but, 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 I mean, in other words, throughout the Christian life, the works that happened to believers was an authentication of the fact that the gospel is a true message. Now, finally, the gospel about Jesus Christ has always been the way people were made acceptable to God. Let me say that again. Some of y'all missed that. The gospel of Jesus has always been the way People were made acceptable to God. In other words, gospel causes good experiences to happen to us, but it also transcends your experience. Now, look what he says. Look what he says. This is good stuff in his Bible, ain't it? Verse 6, he says, just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness, know then that, that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. 
And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to, the, to, Abraham, to Abraham. What? The gospel got preached to Abraham? Wow. Paul said the gospel got preached. How did the gospel get preached to Abraham and Jesus ain't even down the cross yet? Did you know that the gospel got preached to Adam and Eve too? Did you know that? When he told her that her seed would crush his head, that's called the proto-euangelion. <laughs> the first gospel presentation. So they were called to have faith that an ultimate seed was coming that was going to do work on the one that tempted them into being cursed by God. Oh, man, good stuff. Abraham, he says, through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. It was through an ultimate seed. Me and my brother, me and my boy Blake was talking last night. We were just talking about the dichotomy of Abraham's life and him being sanctified by faith. You'll see in James chapter, James chapter 2, it says that Abraham's faith, even though in, 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 you'll see in Genesis 15, 6, it'll say that and Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Well, you'll see that when he tried to sacrifice Isaac in, in Genesis 22, he was talking to me about it because I was trying to work through it. In chapter 22... Um, he sacrificed Isaac. He tried to sacrifice Isaac. God stops him. Remember that? When you go over to Hebrews 11, when you go over to Hebrews 11, it says that by faith, Abraham believed that God was going to raise Isaac from the dead. So when he pulled up his hand and was going like this, he was saying, God's going to raise him up. God's going to raise him up. And God said, stop! Oh, you, I'm loving how you're walking with me by faith. Now, James in chapter 2 says, that Abraham, was his faith, his faith was made complete. Same, same word used here. Perfected by faith. So in other words, Abraham believed God and he was, righteousness was imputed to him in chapter 15. But James says that he was continuing in faith from chapter 12 all the way to chapter 25. So he was living life based on the fact that a seed was going to be promised. So he was justified by faith and sanctified by faith. What you going to do? What you going to do, fam? We got to, like, this is nothing new. Everybody in the Old they weren't sanctified by the law. That's Paul's argument. That's what we're going to talk about for the next few weeks. But we grow up when we skillfully grow in Jesus through the gospel. We continue to have faith in the gospel, faith in the gospel, faith in the gospel. I don't care what you're believing God for. Everybody believe in God for something. But I pray that our lives are marked by the gospel, no matter whether you're rich, whether you're poor, whether you're middle class, upper class, upper middle class, or lower middle class, upper lower class. <laughs> you know, you got all kinds of classes. doesn't matter where you are. You've got to walk by faith. This is the mark of the Christian life. Listen, and God is not going to let you get away with it. Some of y'all are scared to move in some areas of your life. God is not going to let it happen without faith. That is the mark of a Christian life. That's the mark of a Christian. And it's the exciting part of it. Because you know you're not doing it on your own. So I pray today that our lives are marked, that we become craftsmen with the gospel. Craftsmen and women who are able to skillfully apply the gospel to our lives and teach one another how to apply the gospel to our lives. Maybe you're here today and you can't be sanctified by the gospel because you haven't yet been justified by the gospel. So Jesus Christ, you've already heard it. There's a gap between you and him, all of us, between us and God the Father. But Christ, faith in the brutal beating of the, of the crucified Lord and the, his resurrection, faith in him alone gives salvation. 
He satisfied God's wrath so that we can walk in the pleasure that Christ has already pleased them with on the cross. Will you join God's community today? Not join the church. I care less about you coming to covenant community if you don't know Jesus. There's a card in your bulletin. Fill that joint out. If you were a visitor, grab another bulletin. Fill it out. Put it on the back table. We want to talk to you about the Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you that.